Sussman at Catskills Curated. NarrowsburgUnion.com. Good evening. Welcome to the local edition news and information, keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. And coming up tonight, we get our monthly update from Sullivan 180. Patricio Rabio gives us the latest on their healthy initiatives. We're about to do our live weekly check-in with Wayne County, continuing our exploration of what county government does for residents. But first, let's get things started with a little bit of news out of Albany where housing advocates say now is the time to enact a proposed statewide law known as good cause eviction, which gives tenants more rights in fighting evictions from landlords. An appeals court struck down a similar local law today in the city of Albany, saying it conflicted with statewide laws that regulate evictions. Karen DeWitt has more. Albany is one of a handful of cities in the state that enacted their own good cause eviction laws after the measure stagnated in the state legislature. Canyon Ryan, who runs United Tenants of Albany, says the ruling does not say that there's anything wrong with the legislation, only that it can't be enacted in a single municipality unless eviction laws for the entire state are changed. What this ruling does is um, accentuates the urgency and need for the state to do their job. Um, you know, there are tenants now in Albany who are already seeing their rents uh, prospectively increased as a result of this ruling. Anna Leak is one of them. She says tenants in her complex are facing eviction because they can't pay the dramatically higher rents that will be required after planned renovations. She says moving to a new place requires one month's rent in advance and other fees that most of them can't pay. Where can we go because we can't afford any other place to go. We lived here for a reason because this was low income. Our rates are going, our rents are going up dramatically. The advocates say millions of tenants across the state are facing similar no-cause evictions from landlords. The groups, including the Legal Aid Society and Housing Justice for All, have been pressing for a statewide good cause eviction law since 2019, and they have backing from the chairs of the state legislature's housing committees. The measure would require landlords to justify rent increases of greater than 3 percent and gives tenants the power to challenge evictions that they believe are arbitrary, retaliatory, or discriminatory. Assembly Housing Chair Linda Rosenthal, who represents parts of the Upper West Side and Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan, says she herself was a victim of an attempted eviction by a landlord. We need to pass good cause this year. You know, who are we talking about? We're talking about our fellow human beings who are being treated like a table you can just throw out of your apartment. And we also know that landlords can be ruthless and really don't care. That's why the law has to force them to abide by rules and regulations. Governor Kathy Hochul announced a plan to facilitate the building of 800,000 more housing units over the next several years to help ease the housing shortage. But she did not include the good cause eviction measure as part of her plan. The governor, asked by reporters in Albany earlier this week, did not directly answer whether she supports the measure, saying instead she wants to focus on the proposals she's already laid out. We put forth the plan that we're going to be 
been working on this year already. Hochul's plan, included in her budget proposal, would help builders put up more housing units quickly by strengthening the state's ability to override restrictive local zoning laws and fast-tracking some environmental reviews. Assembly Housing Chair Rosenthal says while it's fine to build more housing, it's more effective to help keep people in their existing homes. Senate Housing Committee Chair Brian Kavanaugh says the good cause measure needs to be part of any housing package that the governor and legislature ultimately decide on. We've been talking now for a while about doing a comprehensive package. That comprehensive package will not be complete without basic tenant protections. The Housing Committee chairs say there's a chance there could be an agreement on good cause legislation as a standalone bill and that it could be approved independently of the budget before the end of the month. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Thank you to Karen DeWitt and New York State Public Radio for that report. And now it's uh, time for us to continue with our first live guest of the evening. And following the property reassessment in Wayne County last year, residents were asking, well, what do my taxes pay for? Well, how about emergency services? Today we continue with part four of our continuing series that highlights Wayne County's investment in the community. And we do it by talking about the ins and outs of emergency dispatching, something that very few of us think about until we actually need to dial those numbers, 911. So to tell us more on the phone, we have Betsy Turner, Deputy 911 Director for Wayne County. Betsy, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So um, I guess we should start off uh, by asking what kind of, uh, how, what do you do as a dispatcher and, and what kind of equipment do you use? So that's a really good question. Um, actually, we have five consoles within our comm center. Um, each of those consoles consists of seven screens. So each dispatcher is looking at seven screens as they're processing 911 calls. Um, they have a phone system, of course, that's capable of handling 911 trunk lines along with admin lines. Um, so those medical alert alarms and those alarm company calls, they come in on our admin lines. Um, we have that phone system that's hooked to our computer-aided dispatch system. So when the information comes in on the phone, it gives us a location and callback information. We verify that with all of the callers, um, but that information is automatically pulled over to our computer-aided dispatch system. Um, once they process the calls and they get all the information and they know what's needed for the emergency, they switch over to our radio system um, and they set tones and they send the emergency responders that need to go to help out. They also have what we call an automated vehicle locator, and that is in our EMS, in our advanced life support vehicles. So if the need for the emergency requires a medic, they can send the closest truck to that emergency so that the time is of the essence with a response for the emergency. Now you're the you're the deputy director, deputy nine one one director in Wayne County. So I assume there's a there's a, a director who's not the deputy. Are there uh, what kind of employees do you have? Do you have anybody else besides the two of you uh, to to man to person this control center? Yep. So I have twelve full time dispatchers. We have a full time CAD administrator, and then the deputy director, and which is me, and then the director, um, Cheryl Hunter. So there's, you know, a staff of 15, um, but we manage 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we are actually fully staffed. So that's a very big, a very big thing in our in our world at 911 centers. It's not easy right now. There's a lot of centers that are lacking staff, but we're very fortunate. Wow. 
So 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 fifteen people. I was just wondering, like how, how to to keep things on twenty four hours, a nine one one center twenty four hours for Wayne County. I mean, that's that's a. It feels like a lot of folks, uh, but I think when you got to be there twenty four seven, it doesn't feel that way to you. Yeah, no, their um, their shifts are two eights and two twelves to get in there forty hours, and we overlap a little bit. So at minimum, there's two on staff. Most likely, there's three. Um, and of course, during storms and any events that are going on, like we have people on standby that are close or we pull in extra staff. So we do manage very well um, for our call volume and where we're at. We do we do very well with the staffing that we have. How do they get trained up to be able to do this kind of work? So initially, when they come in as a trainee, they're in a 12 week training program. Um, at the end of that 12 weeks, and during that 12 weeks, they learn call-taking skills for police, fire, and EMS, along with emergency management. Um, they learn radio skills. We go through regulations. We go through protocols, standard operating procedures for everything on the EMS side, the police side, the fire side. Um, and when they complete those 12 weeks, they go into the room and start answering phones with a certified training officer accompanying them and listening in and able to take over the phone should something come in that they're just not quite ready for. But 12 weeks and then after that, we do training in Con Ed every month um, and webinars as we need. You know, something changes, we go through training and keep up on everything. Oh, I, I, and, you know, how about the equipment? Uh, so you're keeping the people, you know, up on training. How? What's the status of your equipment that you actually work with? So our phone system and our CAD system went in in 2016. We've had software up, upgrades, refreshes um, since then. We are looking at a kind of a big deal for our CAD server currently. We're going through that now. Um, so everything's kept up to date. Our radio system, we just completed an overhaul of our radio system, adding two additional towers as communication t- towers, which was a big deal for us. We just finished that project. In 2022, I think March was the end date for that. So we keep up with our equipment. We are very fortunate to have state-of-the-art equipment. Everything functions and properly. We have great maintenance with our vendors, good working relationships. So our equipment is up to par as well as our people. That's great. So when you – is this – is this stressful work on an individual? Because I can imagine there's long stretches of time where you're not hearing from folks. But when you mm-hmm. do, you're hearing from people who may well be having the worst day of their lives, whether it's a medical emergency or or the, if they're actually in, in some kind of danger in a criminal situation. Um, you need, need a fire uh, or health uh, uh, medical or police response, somebody might be having a bad day. How, what, what's what's that like for the dispatchers? Um, so that's a very, very clear picture of what we go through. There are times where it is not busy and there's not much going on and the phone rings and that changes. And it is usually the person's worst day of their life when they call. And the dispatchers are phenomenal at what they do the calm and coolness in their voice and they get what the information that they need. They try their best to comfort the callers is, you know, it's hard when you're not doing that hands-on when somebody's in the frantic state that they're in, but they do a phenomenal job getting the information. Even when people are, you know, not thinking clearly, they can't really form a sentence, let alone with the tragedy that's going on in front of them. 
So the dispatchers do a great job relaying that information to the first responders, whether it's police, fire, EMS, and you kind of walk them through it and stay with them. My guys will stay on the phone with them until somebody gets there with them, depending on the situation. They all have certifications that they can offer pre-arrival instructions if it's some type of medical emergency. You know, fires, they're asking people to get out. They're kind of talking them through and getting them to the point where the first responders making contact with them. And do you talk to the the uh, emergency services folks in between calls? Um, like, what's the relationship like between, you know, the dispatchers and the people that actually do the emergency services? So that is a really great question. And I think what makes us a little bit unique, I'm not sure how other centers are. I know there's some that have responders within their centers. But all but two of my dispatchers are actually first responders out in the field, whether it's fire or EMS. So they all get that hands-on kind of ending to a call. Even though they can't help out their callers, the next day they're going out, they're on an ambulance, they're on a fire truck, they're making a difference. So I feel like that's a healthy mental aspect of it, too, because they get to see that end result and get to help people one-on-one. The relationship with the fire and the EMS and the police is, is amazing. It's, they know their, they know their voices. They know their, you know, how somebody's dispatching. If one dispatcher is saying something, they know the severity of that call. So after you work with people for so long, and I'm sure you can attest in any line of work, you get to know people. Yeah. And it's the same with us versus them. If you have an officer call up the radio, you know, if he's in a bad situation, you know, your heart sinks and you, you do what you have to do, but you know, the tone of their voice, same with fire and EMS you know, and they know our voices. So it's a unique relationship because a lot of times they never meet us. It's all over the radio. So they're going by our voice only. And sometimes it's shocking when you meet them face to face. (laughs) It's often shocking when you meet somebody (laughs) who you've only ever heard over the radio. I've, I've spent a lifetime having that experience given my profession, different part of radio though. Uh, Betsy, we're going to have to go in just less than a minute, but in that time, I'm wondering, is there anything that you want folks to know about what it is that you do that they may not know? Um, I think that 911 is a is an unbelievable job and a career to have. I think that people don't understand the amount of training and the fluency that goes along with it. Um, I am very proud of my staff. I'm very proud to go to work every day and be a part of the team. Um, our equipment is, you know, outstanding. The support that we have from our commissioners um, is amazing. We, you know, we are state of the art. We're matching centers that are statewide, you know, Delaware state where our equipment is, is where we need to be. And our staffing is exactly what we need to make those resources happen. That's great. Well, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Betsy Turner, deputy nine one one director for Wayne County. Thank you so much. And, and best of luck in what you do to, for you and your whole team. Thank you. Thanks for talking to me. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, and a reminder that uh, more information about all facets of Wayne County government is available at their website, waynecountypa.gov. That's waynecountypa.gov. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hi there. 
This is Brian, host of The Secret Show, letting you know my program is moving to a new night, Friday nights at 9. Join me for a mix of indie, alternative, college rock, and pop. I'll be playing some new music mixed in with a few classics. That's The Secret Show, just after Rare Pair Radio, and just before the deep end, Friday nights at 9, only on Radio Catskill. Listen local. That's right. You used to be able to hear Brian's show coming up at 9 o'clock on a Thursday night, but tonight at 9, we've got Connect the Dots with David Christian. Brand new show debuting in its regular time slot. And then it's Electronic Hair Pieces with Nikki Beto coming up at 10 o'clock. Of course, it all starts local music programming at 7 o'clock with Ramble Tamble. So Ramble Tamble tonight, then two brand new programs in their new time slots. We're moving on here. This is the local edition. And Sullivan 180, nonprofit entity dedicated to enhancing the health and welfare of Sullivan County, has a regular check-in with us every month. In this month's edition, Radio Catskills' Patricio Robayo had a conversation with Anne Louise Scandadario, the Director of Community Engagement at Sullivan 180, to learn about the upcoming programs, internships, and how you can get involved. Well, it's an exciting year for us as we are rolling out with our um, intentional focus on prevention and empowering a healthy generation and looking to build a healthy community through people, places, and policies. Through our grants, technical assistance, and our programming and resources to support our mission, we're really looking to enhance the health outcomes within Sullivan County. One of the things you just mentioned was empowering a healthier generation. Can you talk about that? Exactly what is empowering a healthy generation and what is its primary focus? Sure. So it's uh, really one of our main programs and it looks to engage Sullivan County school districts in promoting health and wellness among students, staff, parents, and their communities. The goal of empowering a healthy generation is really to create a grassroots movement that really changes policy and environments while demonstrating that the individuals, the students, and the families, and the communities all have an important role to play in building a culture of health for themselves and the next generation. So we have a variety of different grants and funding available to all the school districts and school buildings throughout Sullivan County to focus on their wellness policies and planning and programming to educate and to support not only the students, but the staff and the community at large. I've seen some of this in action with the Empowering Healthy Generation. I remember seeing a salad bar in Monticello and recently on uh, social media, I think on Instagram, I was watching the video of someone from Sullivan 80 was riding a bike and behind it had like a, uh, a blender. The, yes, the smoothie bike. Yes, 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 the smoothie. That is a crowd pleaser for sure. Yes, we bring, it's really an introduction um, to individuals that between um, healthy choices and nutrition uh, with fruits and some vegetables, some healthy food choices that you can really also have fun and be physical. The blender is on the bike and you pedal it and it gets you physically active and you're also making a healthy food choice, a drink that you can have and share with others. So we bring that to within the schools and some of the schools use that as an option for celebrations. Um, they also have, um, we have that an outreach events to get the community connected to easy ways to make better healthy choices. 
Not too long ago, we were talking to Amanda and Denise from Sullivan 180, talking about the beautification grants that Sullivan Renaissance used to have. And we talked about the, the merger of Sullivan Renaissance and Sullivan 180, and that the beautification grants will be transferred over to Sullivan 180. Can you talk about that and about how these beautification grants and the care of public spaces can improve the quality of life for residents in our community? Sure, absolutely. So our beautification grants, as well as our municipal partnership grants, really focus on the care of public spaces, the care of outdoor spaces. That uh, doesn't just only speak to aesthetically what is pleasing to us, but the importance of being able to have spaces out in public and out in places that people can gather, build community, um, be physically engaged, maybe take a, a mental break from what they're doing that it really enhances your experiences of all your senses, your visual, your sense of smell, hearing, so that it's really about an important connection to places and people, but also discovering ways in which um, how you connect to nature and um, the importance of environmental stewardship. Absolutely. Uh, I remember right before the pandemic, I was reporting on a beautification program or beautification grant in action at in somewhere in Monticello, in the village of Monticello, there was a corner street and the whole block was being beautified with with neighbors and someone Renaissance was there and a whole bunch of volunteers and and uh, all came to this one day, it was a couple of days actually, like a weekend, to beautify this area. They were uh, repainting driveways, they were repurposing a tree stump that was in front of one of the neighbor's house and beautifying that. It was really a, sort of a great experience of seeing everyone come together. Yes, small, impactful ways to make a larger um, outcome for sure. And it's really incredible the work of our volunteers and community volunteers that make these um, programs and initiatives happen and come to fruition. Many of them are their ideas and their thoughts and their passions and that they are able to get involved to bring it to fruition. We really focus on support from our partners as well as with the volunteers for a grassroots opportunity to make a difference, whether it's at a school, at a park, in your community. There's so many different ways to connect and get involved. Everyone really has a role and a part to play. If someone wants to be in that role and take part of this, I mentioned before that this beautification grant in action I saw, there was a lot of volunteers and a lot of interns. Can you talk about the internships and other volunteer opportunities and what types of roles are available? Absolutely. So our volunteers, there's so many different ways. We have our community volunteers who are really step up and help lead some of our grant programs. They request a grant and, um, and then they help uh, get other volunteers to help execute the project. Then we also have our Sullivan 180 Volunteer Corps, and those are individuals who we can connect and they support our projects as well as our mission in outreach um, with events. They could help us with some of our trainings and workshops. They could help us out in the office. There's a wide variety of ways that individuals can get involved, as well as our community health champions, which are individuals who have a specific interest and skills in some area of health 
that then help lead smaller groups or um, workshops or trainings for us and really helping to educate and get individuals more aware in how to take steps to better their health. And then one of my favorite initiatives programs is our internship program, which is um, available for Sullivan County residents 16 to 20 years old. It runs, the program runs from uh, mid-May to the end of August, and um, it's a paid internship, and individuals are connected to programs throughout and projects of Sullivan 180 throughout Sullivan County. They work alongside community volunteers, and they help bring the project to fruition, and that might be watering, that might be weeding, that might be planting, that might be helping doing some litter plucking. So it's really connecting, engaging with your community, but there's also, there's six sessions where we focus on leadership, self-development, um, public speaking, and networking that the interns take a part of leading up to our day of service. It's really a wonderful program, and it's also wonderful for these young individuals to get to connect to other young individuals who live throughout Sullivan County. You mentioned the networking, and I know that's such a very important part of someone's, a young person's life, making that transition from high school to college, from college to the working world. You know, those people they meet during their internship sometimes could lead to other things. You speak to somebody and years later, they could remember you or just keep connections with companies. And, you know, one day they could be offering a job and, and they say, Hey, I know this, this kid who was watering our plants all the times he had looked like he had a great outlook. And those connections could be so valuable uh, in the future. Absolutely. I think uh, if I could go back numerous years and really realize the importance of that networking piece and that really interconnectedness of our community that lends support and guidance to each other, that if I had learned that at a younger age, um, I probably would have valued it uh, much differently. And the other thing that the uh, Southern 180 has is community development, the community development program. Uh, according to your brochure, it challenges municipalities, schools, and other organizations to weave community health and civic engagement. Let's talk more about the community development program and how does it support and encourage municipalities and schools? Sure. So um, the Municipal Partnership Grant Program really kind of focuses more on municipalities, and some of it is also within the school districts to look at a bigger picture, a broader picture of how they support care of public spaces, as well as with our new focus and encouragement of how they are um, focused on youth and engaging youth, whether it's within their programming or their support of their grant programs. There's so many wonderful um, public spaces throughout all of the 21 municipalities and villages throughout Sullivan County that we really look to provide um, funding support, but also planning and programming support with uh, encouraging volunteers, with encouraging our internships, with encouraging all the great youth programming um, in general, but also under community development, we have our neighborhood revitalization grants that really look to support um, smaller, like uh, block revitalization or engagement in, in a neighborhood, kind of like maybe creating a pocket park or focusing on street art or cultural celebrations um, and how we connect 
individuals together and discover and build a community. You're talking about grants, so I'm assuming that means there are deadlines to these grants. Can you talk about the the names of these grants and their deadlines? Sure. So some of our programs are a rolling deadline that are ongoing, and then some um, have a more specific deadline, which quite a few of a few of those are in March. Um, but really, realistically, if anyone wants to talk about a grant or talk about an idea, they should look to connect with Sullivan 180 by reaching out to us um, and giving us a call at 845-295-2680. And whoever answers the phone will definitely connect you with the right staff member to be able to um, guide and support and um, maybe bring some of your thoughts and ideas to fruition. And just once again, if those who wants to get involved with Sullivan Lady, that number that you just gave is also the best way to get in contact uh, with the organization, right? Correct. Or they can give us an email at info at Sullivan180.org. And Louise, uh, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on that you want our listeners to know about? Just, I feel like the encouragement that we hope that you look and discover more about our programming, our initiatives, our grants, and potentially our volunteer opportunities, and that, that once again, everyone has a role to play and everyone can do something. And so that we hope that they can connect with us to help support the mission of building a healthy community one degree at a time. Uh, absolutely. And that phone number, again, one more time is 845-295-2680. Find them online at Sullivan180.org or email them at info at Sullivan180.org. We were talking to the Director for Community Engagement at Sullivan80. Thank you so much for joining us on the program and letting us know everything that Sullivan80 has to offer. Uh, it's a lot and it's a good, all good stuff that's happening. So, Yes, thank you so much. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Rabayo. And thank you, Patricio. Thank you for listening, listener. This is Radio Catskill, or WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Don't forget, we have brand new programs and new time slots tonight. Coming up after Ramble Tamble, Connect the Dots at 9, and Electronic Hair Pieces at 10. You can catch The Secret Show Friday night at 9. This is Radio Catskill.